that there's a bad time to live in Texas. It's always a good time to live in Texas. Yeah, so uh, we have a big sermon in front of us today because uh, we're just going to be talking about uh, really the, the, the eternal security, the, the majesty of what Jesus does to protect us. And we just sang about it, what a powerful name it is. Uh, nothing can stand against, right? And that's what uh, this last section of the book of Romans is about. And uh, it's just a fantastic uh, little piece of scripture. So uh, the title of today's message is Nothing Shall Separate Us, Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 39. So let's go to the Lord before we begin. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for these incredible truths, Lord. Uh, if God is for us, who, for us, who is against us? And the answer is no one, Lord. No one can possibly stand against. Lord, we thank you for that truth. May we hold on to it. Uh, Lord, no matter what happens in the coming days, weeks, months, years, Lord, may we hold on to that truth. We pray that, these, uh, that the Holy Spirit would come now, illuminate this scripture for us, help it sink deep into our hearts, Lord, so that we would never, ever forget these truths. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I am fascinated by bears. I just love bears. I think they're just the most incredible animals. You can't outrun them, you can't outclimb them, you can't outswim them. There's nothing you can do in the face of a bear. It's just incredibly powerful and yet gorgeous animal. Uh, I was thinking this week, as I was thinking about this passage about, you know, those videos that you might see on uh, Animal Planet or whatever about these mama bears who will do anything to protect their cubs. Uh, and I caught this article in Field and St uh, Stream magazine where a photographer caught this uh, epic battle on film. So he starts off with these two uh, cute, cute little bear cubs. And it's hard to imagine that thing that would, could grow up into something that will tear your head off in a split second. But that's what he can do. Uh, but they're just these cute little defenseless cubs at this point in their lives. And uh, apparently the mama bear is not paying attention because here comes this huge male bear, uh, chases one of the bear cubs into the water. And male bears will kill cubs if they're not their own because uh, it's competition. So I can see you all on the edge of your seat praying for a happy ending to the story. And <laughs> I promise you that the story has a happy ending. Uh, so the bear catches this baby cub, though, up, and he pins him down. Ah, I blew it here. He pins him down underneath the water. But you can see uh, from the look on the bear's face and from his posture that uh, Mama Bear is in the vicinity and, and is roared, and, and she's on her way. And so she charges into the water and somehow rescues uh, this cub from uh, a male bear who is much bigger uh, than the female cub. And uh, the female uh, is bigger, uh, I'm sorry, the bear is much bigger, the male bear, than the female bear. And she is, manages to chase him away, and Mama Bear and the two cubs are able to walk away uh, in safety, having survived this attack uh, from this male bear. And so we think about this Mama Bear and just realize that there is nothing that she will not do to protect these cubs because their very survival is at stake, and she loves her cubs. And she's got a very strong will to protect them, and she also has the power to protect them. And so as I was thinking about that in the context of our passage this week, uh, what are we going to say? If a mama bear will go to such great lengths to protect her cubs, what lengths do you think God will go to to protect his own elect? Uh, he is all-loving, he is all-powerful, and his purpose and will is that he would bring us into eternity forever and ever. So is there anything in the whole universe with a stronger will than God to save and protect his elect? And the answer is no. Is there anything in the whole universe with more power than God who could thwart God's uh, purpose in saving and keeping his elect? And of course, the answer is no. And we'll see that as we go through our passage today, verses 35 through 39. 
What we saw last week as we looked at the beginning of this passage uh, is that Paul asked a bunch of questions uh, in this final crescendo about the love of Christ toward us and our eternal security. Uh, And he asked four questions that we uh, talked about last week. The first one was in verse 31. If God is for us, who is against us? And of course, uh, the answer is that even though the world may seem to be against us, our own flesh may seem to be against us, and certainly Satan is against us, none of those things can possibly do anything to us. Our adversaries stand no chance because God is for us. If God is for us, who is against us? The obvious answer is nothing and no one is against us. The second question in 832, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? And the answer, of course, is that he will freely give us all things. Having already given us Jesus, the greatest gift of all, how will he not also give us salvation and keep our salvation and security uh, secure? The third question that Paul asked, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Well, the answer is no one will bring a charge against God's elect because God has already judged us not guilty of sin uh, because we have believed in Jesus Christ for our salvation. And so in God's justice system, uh, our guilt was put onto Jesus and his righteousness was then put onto us. And since God has judged us not guilty, well, no one has the authority to bring a charge against God's elect. And then verse 34, the fourth question, who is the one who condemns? Well, if nobody has the authority to bring a charge, well, surely then no one can condemn. You have to be able to bring a charge before you can condemn. So it's impossible. So these four questions and answers should give us absolute peace, absolute comfort, uh, knowing that nobody, no one, nothing can possibly interfere in God's plan of salvation for us. No one can snatch us from his hand. So In verses 31 to 34, we learned that God has the power and the authority to save us and to keep us so that we never, ever need to doubt our eternal salvation. Now, last week, we talked a little bit about the doctrine of eternal security because that's what these verses are about. And last week, we said eternal security is the fact that since God has chosen us, no one can snatch us from his hand. That's from God's perspective. It's an absolute fact Uh, that no one can snatch us from his hand. Now, the other side of the coin of eternal security is our assurance of salvation, which is our belief in eternal security, our trust that eternal security is actually true. And so when we look at it from our side of the coin, it's really our belief that what God has promised, he will deliver, uh, and that nothing can snatch us from his hand once God has uh, chosen us, he's elected us, he's foreknown, predestined, called, justified, and glorified, nothing can snatch us from his hand. And so when we have assurance of salvation, when we trust in eternal security, it changes the way we live. We live with the knowledge, the peace that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And that helps us to look at everything from an eternal perspective, like God sees things, rather than a human perspective, the way that we see things, worried about this and that. If we were able to see things from God's heavenly perspective, being able to see the end from the beginning, well, we wouldn't worry so much about the day-to-day because of our eternal security. Uh, We don't have to worry about what happens tomorrow or the next day. We know where we are headed and that nothing can stop us from getting getting there. 
Excuse me. So uh, we know that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And so that is the theme that Paul continues here in verses 35 to 39. And uh, Paul just continues to build on this crescendo, asking question after rhetorical question, which the answer is obvious that nothing can possibly separate us from the love of Christ. So uh, in, verses, uh, in, in verse 35, he asks one more question. Who will separate us from the love of Christ, which is really just an extension of the questions he's already asked. And in verse 35, Paul uh, mentions specifically seven uh, potential physical dangers uh, that someone might ask. Could this thing possibly keep us from the love of Christ? Could this separate us from the love of Christ? Uh, and then in verses 38 and 39, uh, Paul uh, talked about all these forces of the universe uh, that could potentially separate us from the love of Christ. Death or life, uh, things present, things future, could, could any of these things possibly separate us from the love of God? And, and Paul's conclusion is that nothing, absolutely nothing, you name it, you think of it, whatever comes into your mind, whatever it is, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And these are just some of the most encouraging verses in the entire Bible, because no matter what we happen to be dealing with now, no matter what you're going through personally, uh, with your family, whatever you're dealing with, it falls into one of these categories that Paul mentioned here. And so whatever it is, it is not something that could ever separate us from the love of Christ. It is no threat to our eternal security in Christ. So the first question, uh, can physical dangers then separate us from the love of Christ? Uh, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Uh, and so we have this list of things here uh, that he mentions. Now, before we get into the list, let's just ask the question, what is this love of Christ? It's not our love for him. It's his love for us that we're talking about here when we talk about the love of Christ. And so let's just take a minute to consider Christ's love for us uh, We've studied the uh, Philippians chapter 2 passage, the great incarnation passage in the past uh, here in church. And, and when we considered that, we, we talked about uh, what Jesus did in becoming a man, the, the glory that he gave up, uh, being at the uh, side of his Father uh, and the Holy Spirit for all eternity and, and deciding then to take on a human body, to become a man with all man's frailties, weakness and tiredness and hunger and thirst, and, and not only that from what's internal, but, but the persecutions from what comes outside of a man. Jesus gave up so much by leaving heaven and becoming a man. And he also set aside his divine privileges uh, for a period of time. Not that Jesus ever stopped for one second being God. He never stopped being God. But he did set aside the use of his divine privileges, at least in a way that benefited himself uh, for the time that he was on earth. He certainly did exercise divine privileges uh, at times when he did miracles, uh, healings, things like that, raising Lazarus from the dead. But those things were to benefit Lazarus and to benefit the witnesses so that they might come to saving faith uh, in Jesus Christ. He, he could have called for a legion of angels when uh, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane to rescue him, but he did not do that. So he didn't use his divine powers for his own uh, benefit, but for the benefit of others. And then he showed his love for us by becoming man, but he had to do a whole lot more than just becoming a man to save us. He had to come live in this weak, frail body and then live a sinless life, a life that none of us could ever live to redeem mankind. And then he had to die an excruciating, humiliating death on the cross, separated from God for the only time in all eternity. And so the physical pain 
of crucifixion is unimaginable. Uh, the emotional pain uh, that Jesus went through uh, is indescribable. I, I don't know what we could say to describe that kind of pain. None of us could ever experience such a thing as he experienced. And we know that it must have been quite severe because Jesus did ask in the garden if there was another way that this cup might pass from him. And when God said, there is no other way, this cup cannot pass from you, Jesus drank that cup all the way to the dregs. He suffered the insults of the mobs, the mocking, the spitting, the scourging, the, the crown of thorns, the nailing to the cross, and death by suffocation in a most vile and hideous way. And he did that because of our sin. So Jesus is the only answer to our sin problem. And the only way that we could ever uh, escape from this sinful condition that we are in and have peace and fellowship and eternity with God was for Jesus to die on that, sin, uh, on that cross and take on the sin that we deserve. He suffered God's wrath for us in our place as our substitute to save us. And for us to be saved, all we have to do is exercise faith in Jesus Christ. Say, I believe you, I believe in you, Lord Jesus Christ, as my Lord and Savior. Uh, not based on what I have done, but based on what you have done. And so all we have to do is, is make that profession. And once we believe it, we are saved. We are sealed for all eternity. And it's the best deal we'll ever receive, right? Christ's righteousness in, turn, in return for our sinful uh, stained record. And it's free to us. That's the most amazing thing. It's free to us. But it wasn't free to him. It cost him everything. And it cost God everything. And all we have to do is believe. So the cost is immense. Now, most Sundays you hear me proclaim the gospel message, and the reason I tell you the gospel message week after week is to give you hope. Uh, and there are so many ways that the gospel is for believers. You realize that, right? It's not just for unbelievers. The gospel saves unbelievers, but we believers need the hope of the gospel every single week, and we need to understand that it's not our works because we tend to get puffed up with pride, and we tend to think, well, yeah, I probably contributed something to my salvation. I was pretty good this past week, and I did this, and I did that, and uh, surely uh, some of that must be good to my salvation. And we just need to be reminded every week that it's Jesus Christ and his work alone on the cross that saves us. Nothing that we contribute. And this week I'm adding to that message. It's not our works that I'm really focused on today. It's the eternal security that the gospel brings. This is what uh, Paul was emphasizing in these verses. And this is where I really want us to, to think this week that the gospel, because Jesus Christ died on the cross, because God has elected us, our eternity is secure. We can't have eternal security or assurance of salvation without the cross, without the gospel. And so this is the good news that we're focusing on today. So Jesus paid that price so that we could have it. And he's not going to just let us go. Having paid the price that he paid, he's not going to let us slip through his fingers and uh, not keep us eternally secure when the cost that he paid was so high to buy us. So with those things in mind, let's return to Paul's question. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? So physical dangers, I mean, come on, physical dangers compared to what Christ has done on the cross, they're absolutely nothing. Tribulation, uh, these are some physical dangers, uh, distress uh, that, that, that we might think, well, I'm undergoing this thing. And so that surely means God must have forgotten me, uh, forsaken me, uh, withdrawn his love from me, because why else would I be going through these physical dangers, uh, physical, emotional uh, trials that I'm going through? But Paul's point is that all of this suffering that we experience does not mean that God does not love us. 
And he, he never stopped loving Jesus, his own son, even when Jesus was suffering the wrath of God, uh, even when men were scourging him and spitting on him and crucifying him. God never stopped loving him. And we are God's adopted sons and daughters. Why would we think that we would have it any different than Jesus had it? We are going to suffer too, so that shouldn't surprise us. Uh, but look at this list, uh, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. We see uh, these words kind of increasing in intensity as they go on, one after the other after the other. Uh, tribulation, it's a pretty general word. It's kind of synonymous with the word trouble, and that can have lots of different meanings. And trouble will cause us distress. We are going to have distress when we experience trouble. So it's slightly worse, perhaps, uh, than this word for, for tribulation. Uh, persecution is a, even a little bit worse. So persecution is, is inflicted on us by others. It's a, it's a program uh, designed specifically to harass us, uh, to persecute us uh, for our faith. And that will lead to even more distress. A famine and nakedness uh, describe uh, intense human deprivation, right? We're, we're at, at our last. We have no food. We have no clothes. We're on the verge of perishing. A peril is the word that Paul used continually uh, in that great 2 Corinthians passage, chapter 11, where he talked about all the things that he had suffered as a result of being a Christian, beaten 40 times, uh, minus one, five times, uh, the shipwrecks, uh, the deprivation, being lost at sea, all of those things he described as peril. And this uh, final word, sword, of course, represents the risk of execution at the hands of others. Now, by the time Paul had written Romans, he had experienced every one of these things except for execution. And of course, that will come later. But he knew firsthand, because Paul experienced it, that suffering could never separate him from the love of Christ. Instead, those sufferings brought him closer to Christ. And sufferings do the same for us. They are part of the all things that were mentioned in Romans 8.28. God works all things together for good. And then in verse 29, so that we might be conformed to the image of his Son. And suffering is part of those things. So how does suffering conform us to the image of God's Son? Well, they are tools in God's hands to make us more like Christ, to, to cause us to be more dependent on Christ. And when God rescues us from cancer or loneliness or debt or whatever the affliction is that we may be going through, that increases our faith. And not only does it increase our faith, but it increases all of the faith of all of us around us. Uh, just for example, with what happened with our nephew Carlton a couple weeks ago and, and how God miraculously took care of that situation. That certainly increased Carlton's faith, but did it do something for all your faith? It did something for my faith. Uh, God is in control and, and God can do the miraculous. And, and so that helps us when we watch others suffer, when we suffer ourselves. we brothers and sisters in Christ, we all get the benefit of what happens uh, when God does something great. And so this is the faith uh, of all of us when we walk uh, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and so tribulation, uh, it, it points us back to Christ, uh, and it, it, it shows us our complete dependence and our complete reliance on him. And we find that we, when we turn back to him, that all of our hope rests in him. It doesn't come from anything in the world. Our hope is in Christ. And so when we think about that, all of these potential hardships, all of these things that Paul mentioned, they're all completely toothless 
when we compare them to the love of Jesus Christ, which protects us and carries us through all of these things. So no danger, real or potential, can possibly separate us from the love of Christ. His love is too great. The cost that he paid to buy us was too high for him to ever let us go. And that's true even if we should happen to be martyred for our faith. Uh, Verse 36 is a quote from Psalm chapter 44, verse 22. And the context for Psalm 44 is, is this unspecified national calamity that has come on Israel. It's not said exactly what the national calamity is, but apparently Uh, God has allowed Israel's enemies uh, to defeat them. They have suffered defeat at the hands of their enemies. And this is what uh, the psalmist wrote in verses 17 to 22, which I want us us to see just for context. Uh, All of this came upon us. And now notice that uh, these are claims to to being innocent sufferers. Uh, Though we had not forgotten you, we had not been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path, but you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals. You covered us over with deep darkness. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it since he knows the secrets of the heart? Yet for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. So the psalmist seems to be complaining uh, or misunderstanding that the innocent should not suffer. Uh, But what do we understand? We understand that God allows all things, even suffering, and that our lives are are virtually meaningless compared to the eternity that awaits us uh, in heaven someday. And these sufferings that we will undergo now, uh, they are just to, to conform us to the image of Christ. And once we understand that God allows this trouble in our lives to conform us to the image of Christ, well, then we're going to realize that, that the, the trouble that we suffer is not that God has abandoned us. It's not proof that God doesn't love us. It's proof that he does love us because he wants us to be more like his son. And we know uh, the people that Paul was writing to Uh, in the first century, they were about to undergo intense persecution. In the first century, uh, the Romans, they made sport of Christians. They they tortured them without mercy. They would cover them with tar and they would tie them to a wall and they would light them on fire to light their city streets at night. They would throw them into the Colosseum to the lions uh, just for sport. The more Christians they martyred though, the more the gospel spread. And witnesses could not believe that these Christians would rather go to their death, rather be lit on fire, rather be torn apart by lions than renounce their faith. And as they saw that happening, they would say, what is it about this Christ that is so amazing that these Christians would allow themselves to be thrown to the lions or lit on fire? What is it about Christ that they'll do this? And that brought more and more people to faith. And that's why uh, it has been said, uh, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And that is exactly what happened in the first century. And so uh, the people who saw that Christ was worth dying for found him attractive and became Christians themselves. And so the suffering of Christians throughout history has always served to advance the gospel. And when God calls on us to suffer, It's not that suffering separates us from him. It doesn't separate us from him. And suffering does not defeat us. In fact, it makes us more than conquerors, which is uh, what Paul vigorously asserts here in verse 37. 
of the, uh, of the text that we're looking at today. Uh, your translation may say overwhelmingly conquer or something like that. And the reason for the difference in translations is uh, this word that Paul uses. It's a, it's a seldom used word in the Greek. Uh, it's a compound word from the word hooper, that means above or super, and the word nikeo, which means to conquer. So put them together, it's super conquer, more than conquer, overwhelmingly conquer, uh, something like that. Uh, so it's more than just regular conquering. Like if you watch a football game, uh, there's a big difference between like squeaking out a one-point win or a last-second field goal like that, right? That's conquering, but that's not super conquering. Uh, what the Washington football team did to the Dallas Cowboys last week, that was super conquering. I knew you'd like that one. <laughs> that was super conquering. I just lost the whole audience with that one. <laughs> one cannot help oneself sometimes. <laughs> But this is what we are as Christians. We are super conquerors, more than conquerors, overwhelming conquerors. As Christians, we're not sweating out a victory, right? We're giving the opponent a beatdown. We are crushing our opponent, and we're doing it not alone, but we're doing it through Christ, right? Through Christ. And so I hope we are getting the picture that the love of Christ is what gives us victory over all of these things. Even if we face them, they cannot separate us from the love of Christ. And so there's no worry, no need to worry that we have ever fallen out of favor with Christ because we are, are experience these, experiencing these things. Uh, we are supposed to experience these things. We will suffer. And that should not take us by surprise. Christ suffered, Paul suffered, and we suffer too. Well, Physical dangers cannot take us, cannot separate us. What about forces of the universe? Uh, can any of these separate us from the love of Christ? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know if you've ever just taken uh, time to read verses 31 through 39, like maybe five times in a row. It is the most exalting, optimistic, beautiful language that I've ever read in my entire life. If there's any more beautiful language in the entire uh, universe, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 maybe, but uh, between those two, just incredible language, uh, unequaled anywhere else. Uh, and these verses, verses 38 and 39, seal the deal, don't they? They absolutely seal the deal that nothing can separate us from Christ's love. And Paul said he was convinced. Uh, your version may say persuaded, uh, but the tense and the voice of this verb uh, show us that Paul uh, is now presently convinced based on his past experiences. It's the suffering that he's undergone that have convinced him of the truth of eternal security. And of course, Paul experienced more severe trials as a Christian uh, than just about anyone and learned that nothing could separate him from the love of Christ. And that's how he could triumphantly proclaim uh, that nothing shall separate us. Experience is a great teacher, and Paul knew as well as anyone. And in fact, you know, Romans was written probably about 55 AD or so. About five years later, Paul found himself in jail. Uh, and this is what he wrote to the Philippian church. Now, five more years of suffering, evangelizing, uh, this is what he had to say. I have suffered all the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, 
but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And here's the really uh, just dramatic part, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. There is no doubt in Paul's mind where he's headed, right? He knows all about eternal security. He is assured of his salvation, and he knows that he is going to be with Jesus Christ in heaven someday. And so Paul understood that suffering was part of sanctification, and it did not mean separation. God used it to conform him to the image of Christ. And Paul thought about all the things that God had created and just consider these forces of the universe and, and just ask the question, can any of these things separate us from the love of Christ? And he kind of looked at them as extremes, death on one hand, life on the other, height on one hand, depth on the other hand, things present on the one hand, things in the future on the other hand. Uh, so considering the entire spectrum of everything he could think of and then everything in between to say that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And so Paul understood uh, just the greatness of Christ, the strength of Christ, understanding that whether he lived or died made no, no difference uh, to him. It was good for his disciples that he lived so he could continue to teach them, but it was better for him, he knew, to go and be with Christ. And so as we think about these things, uh, he knew that death is only the doorway to eternity in Christ. And so he talks about uh, various uh, contrasts here, angels or principalities. Uh, your version may say demons, uh, something like that. But angels are God's created beings, and they exist to serve us. And angels would certainly not want to separate us from the love of Christ. Their mission is uh, to serve us and help us on our walk. But some of God's angels fell with Satan, and they're called either principalities here, or if your version says demons. Uh, spiritual warfare is very real because demons, principalities, evil powers exist. And following Satan's instructions, they would want to separate us from the love of Christ. In fact, that's their sole mission in life, to separate us from the love of Christ. But uh, we would understand that that mission is actually mission impossible because it is impossible for them to separate us from the love of Christ. No one has the authority to accuse or condemn us since God has already declared us not guilty. Well, what about time? Things present, things in the future, anything in between also is counted. We have no need to fear these things. God is in control of the present. He's in control of what's happening today. He's in control of what is going to happen in the future. Uh, and so God has made glorious and certain promises to us that will come to pass in the future because he has promised them. And it is absolutely against the character of God to promise something and then renege on his promise. He could never do that. So he will fulfill his promises. And then Paul references these powers at the end of verse 38, which means evil powers. Uh, and, and so we have these evil powers, these principalities working against us, but there is no power greater than God's power. So we have no need to fear uh, anything could happen to our uh, God's plan of salvation for his elect. What about space? Height nor depth nor any created thing. Uh, many commentators take the height and depth in a spiritual sense. Uh, is there anything we can do to fall from the height of God's love considering the depth of our sin? Uh, that's probably what he means by height and depth. And, and of course, the answer is a resounding no. Of course, nothing can separate us 
Uh, and so, and then just to throw another catch-all in there, any other created thing, uh, just to be sure, he's covered everything. Paul considered every and any potential obstacle to our eternal salvation, and Paul concluded that nothing could separate us. And somebody might say, well, what about this thing? Or what about that thing? And Paul said, no, nothing, absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Brothers and sisters, if that's not amen-worthy, I don't know what is. Can I get an amen? Amen. These verses should make us want to stand up and cheer. Uh, and if it wasn't COVID, I'd have you all stand up and high-five each other because that is how fantastic these verses are. Our salvation is secure. Our place in eternity could not be safer. And that's great news for all believers. But, and there's always a but, isn't there? We still have to live in this world while we wait for the glorious appearing of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's kind of hard when we watch the world news right now to be optimistic, isn't it? Uh, COVID's been with us for seven, eight months, whatever it is at this point. Uh, that's been hard to deal with. We have violence in our streets uh, almost weekly. Philadelphia over the past several days has experienced violence and rioting and looting uh, and all kinds of things in Philadelphia. But Philadelphia is just the latest in, in a long list of, of cities that has experienced this in our country. Uh, California and Colorado have been uh, seemingly on fire for the past months and weeks with wildfires <clears throat> ravaging those areas. New Orleans was hit with yet another hurricane last week, this time Hurricane Zeta. Uh, so, uh, so many things are happening in the world. And on top of all this, you may have heard that we have an election on Tuesday, just two days away uh, from now. And that election is going to determine who is going to be our next president and which party controls the Senate and which party controls the House of Representatives. And it's a scary and it's a very precarious time in our nation's history. <clears throat> so I just want us to take a minute to apply verses 31 through 39 to our present historical situation. And uh, I'd like to be able to stand up here and say to you that uh, after Tuesday, it's all going to be fine. But I can't say that. I don't know that it's all going to be fine, at least in terms of our present situation. Our troubles uh, are not going to end on Tuesday, right? We understand that our troubles are not going to end on Tuesday, no matter what happens. Now, I am sure that every one of you has voted or plans to vote on Tuesday, and let me say to you again that if you have not and if you need a ride, I will come and I will get you and I will bring you to that polling place so that you can vote. So if you need that, I'm serious, take me up on that. Uh, so I'm sure though that we're all very passionate about our candidate, but the question is, how will we react if he doesn't win, if the person you voted for does not win? Unbelievers are watching us very closely. I hope you know that, especially at this time, those of us who profess to be Christians, we are being watched by unbelievers. And the way we react says a lot about whether we trust God's sovereignty and whether we really believe verses 31 to 39. Is it going to be the end of the world if our candidate does not win? No, it's not going to be the end of the world. And even if it is, eternal security, right? We have eternal security. We have nothing to worry about. So I just want us to consider two things uh, as we think about these verses in light of God's sovereignty and in light of the upcoming election. And the first one is this, our time on earth is short. Even you young people in the room, our time on earth is short. Shorter for some of us than others, but uh, still, no matter how you measure it, we have a short time here on earth. And uh, you know, when you think about it, 
throughout history, uh, whoever was living at the time, in their own historical moment, they thought that what was going on in their day was the most important, most compelling moment in history. And of course, to them, it was, right? And we feel the same way about our present moment in history. This is the most compelling time. This is the most important election in our history, right? We've been hearing that over and over again. But, you know, most of us can't remember what happened 20 years ago, at least with any specific detail, right? And none of us can really remember, unless we're, you know, very good historians, what happened 100 years ago. And none of us was alive, except for Margaret, which is amazing uh, <laughs> that she was alive 100 years ago. But uh, none of us can remember 100 years ago. And, and so in the same way, who's going to remember what happens 100 years from now, right? 20 years from now. Uh, people won't remember what happens then. Uh, no one's going to remember our present historical moment, and we are all going to be dead. So just a little encouragement for you this morning. <laughs> we'll all be dead. So uh, my thought is this, that it, as important as this election is, and it is important, I'm not trying to downplay it, but even if it doesn't go the way we want it to go, and even if the effects of this election last 100 years, that's still just a blip compared to what we have to look forward to, eternity in heaven. So what's most important now, whether our candidate wins or loses the election, is that we show ourselves to be good witnesses for Christ. And we should be filled with joy no matter what the outcome, because we are, we, our home is in heavenly places. This is not our home. Our home is in heaven. This is our just temporary stomping grounds. We have bigger and better places that we're headed to. Uh, so our salvation is secure. We'll spend eternity in heaven, even if the election doesn't go the way we want. And we need to determine <clears throat> right now that we're not going to be part of the division in our country because the love of Christ uh, exists for us. And, and we have to understand, or at least determine, or, or make up our minds that we're going to love people, even if they are diametrically opposed to us politically. Our time on earth is short, <clears throat> and we only have these few moments that we live on earth to, to witness for Christ and to make disciples. So let's not waste it worrying about temporary things, things will pass in, in a year or five years or 10 years. Let's think more about eternal matters, no matter what happens on Tuesday. And with that in mind, our time on earth is short, our time in heaven is long. No matter what happens on Tuesday, and nothing that happens in the next four years, the next eight years, the next hundred years, none of that will affect our eternal security. Heaven is more glorious than we could ever imagine. We're going to live with Jesus Christ. We're going to be at, in the very presence of God. Let that sink in. I mean, we're going to be in the very presence of God. Why are we going to spend so much time worrying about what is happening here and now uh, when we have eternity with God to look forward to? Uh, we will just spend, we can't even measure time anymore. It's just eternity. We sit there worshiping him however you measure time, day after day, after hour after hour. It never ends, and that's what we have to look forward to. We'll have no pain, no death, no sickness, no sin. It's going to be incredible. Just think about what Paul has said in these verses. God is for us. Who can be against us? God has, uh, he has foreknown us, predestined us, called us, justified us, glorified us. Jesus died on the cross to purchase it. All of this we have. Nothing can change all of these facts, and nothing can take the Holy Spirit from us. And so we may face all kinds of trouble in the next weeks, months, years. That may happen. 
so what? Uh, we have this glorious eternal hope to look forward to because nothing can separate us from Christ's love. You know, believers have always had to face hardship. For the past 2,000 years, it's been a constant for believers. We will face hardship, but we will never, ever experience abandonment. His death for us proves his unconquerable love for us. So remember verses, or verse 828, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We know it, brothers and sisters. We know it. He's going to work all things, whatever things they are, he's going to work them all together for good for us who are believers because nothing can separate us from his love, and he did it by the cross. So let's remember that as we close in prayer today. Lord God, we just thank you for this incredible final passage in Romans chapter 8. We've spent several months here just plumbing the depths of, of the truths of Romans 8, Lord, and I don't think we've scratched the surface. <clears throat> Lord, such is your glory, such is your majesty. So we thank you, Lord, and we thank you uh, just for the encouragement that this particular passage happens to land on the Sunday before Election Day so that we might have hope, that we might have assurance, that we might take comfort in your love because we do get caught up in world events, Lord, and help us to take world events seriously, but help us to take even more seriously the love of Christ, Lord, and, and what we have to look forward to. Lord, I pray that we will be captivated by Christ more than the election and that we will be witnesses no matter what happens. Lord, thank you for your son who died on the cross to purchase our salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.